You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. No, we're gonna get it done. I'm excited. Holidays are right around the corner. Um, I was just kind of preparing and I knew that Thanksgiving was coming up and I didn't want to skip Thanksgiving because that's such a great holiday. It's a great time to sit back and say, okay, what am I thankful for? Uh, what should I be thankful for? Um, and one of the things that God says is every time you come into my presence, be thankful. Be thankful. Uh, and it's one of those things you shouldn't have to be reminded. But you know what? When it comes to the grace of God, the grace of God makes you thankful. And the beauty of being thankful we've talked about before is the more you are grateful for what God has done, the more he gives you on top of what he's already done. Um, he rewards you. And in some cases, Jesus actually praised people just for being thankful. So I think that's a powerful truth. And I think it's a wonderful time of year to be reminded. Let's be thankful. So I'm excited. Next week uh, is going to be good. The women are going to be doing the panel in two weeks. I'm excited for that, ladies. I'm excited for that. Um, I don't know. We got a lot of stuff going on. We're going to get the men back together. I was reading 2 Timothy the other day at work, and Paul told Timothy, he said, let all the men come together, lift up holy hands, and pray. And my mind automatically said, let the church come together and pray. And then a few verses later, he says, and let the women. And I said, wait a second. And I went back, and I read it again. He said, let the men come together, lift up holy hands, and let them pray. Then he goes on to say, and now addressing the women. And I went back and read it again, and I just felt impressed from the Lord. Get the men together and pray. It's not enough just to come together, have coffee, go bowling. Don't get me wrong, bowling was fun. And like I said, I call out Mr. Johnny. He's not here this morning, but you should have seen him. He lit the bowling lane on fire. But it was, it was just, it was good. But men coming together and praying, I think that's something that he didn't have to tell the women because the women already did it. He has to tell the men because the men won't do it. So he says, get the men together and let's pray. So I don't know. I'm excited in the days ahead before uh, this year ends. I believe that we're going to be doing some things and uh, we'll just see what the Lord does. Um, and uh, divine appointments. Let me say that. I am uh, firmly believing that God is putting us at the right place at the right time to meet the right people, uh, to open the right doors and move you along where you need to be. So I'm excited. We've got a lot ahead and a lot to do um, before the year is out. But are you ready for the word? Beautiful. Let's dive into it. Uh, let's pray before we before we start. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Uh, Father, we thank you for your presence. That's what's most important. We thank you for your presence. Your word says where two or more are gathered, you are in our midst. So Jesus, this morning, yes, everyone's looking this direction. But I thank you, Lord, that you are in our midst. I thank you, Lord, that you are in the midst of this church. Jesus, this morning, you are here. And this morning, we ask you to be a savior. We ask you to be a healer. We ask you to be uh, the prince of peace in our life. We ask you to manifest your righteousness in our physical bodies. We ask you to be a savior to all of us. We thank you, Father, that yes, you saved us from hell. Now you are saving us even to this day in this world. I thank you. You have not left us alone, but you have walked us through everything up to this point, And you haven't walked us. You haven't brought us to this point to leave us. There is still so much more to do, so much more to see. So many doors to walk through, so many more people to bring the truth of the gospel to. So, Jesus, I thank you that you are not finished with anyone in here yet. And I thank you for it, Lord. Again, I thank you that you are not finished with anyone in here yet. So, Father, I thank you for our youthfulness that is returning, not just for myself, but for everyone in here. Youthfulness is returning back into everyone. Back to the days of our youth, Father. And we thank you that even before you return, the same thing they said of Abraham, may it be said of us who are the seed of Abraham, that the Lord has made us wealthy and hasn't withheld anything from us. So, Father, we thank you for your favor. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. I will tell you, we're going to finish our series this morning, but um, one thing the Lord has been sharing with me, and I've been studying it for just the last week and a half, um, I felt kind of like, uh, well, you have your Bible. Open up to Colossians. I'll tell you anyways. You can open up to Colossians. That's what we're starting this morning. 
I was uh, just kind of last week and a half, I kind of felt like I had reached a point where I felt like my relationship with the Lord was um, not where it should be. Has anyone else ever felt like that? Okay. Have you felt like that recently? Ah, okay. Okay, good. I'm not alone. Um, so anyways, and I'll say it like this. I heard a great man in God say one time he went through a deep uh, part of depression and it lasted for several days. And he said when he went to church with his pastors that were underneath him, they were talking and he started realizing the more he talked about what he was going through. Another pastor pulled him to the side and said, hey, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, I had the same feeling. I just went through this dark depression moment. And he said a, a, a few minutes later, another pastor came up, said the same thing, and found out that it wasn't just an isolated event, that the pastors across the board, they were all going through the same thing. And he said the more he prayed about it, it felt like a coordinated attack. And he said, always be careful that when you get attacked like that, when the enemy comes against you in that type of way, start asking people around you, are you going through the same thing? Because the, the, the trick is the enemy wants you to think you're alone. But in all truthfulness, he realizes something's about to happen. So he attacks everyone on the same front. And he doesn't want anyone to know that you're all in the trenches together. But if he's attacking all of us in the same way, there's a reason. So anyways, I felt strongly again that my relationship with the Lord had kind of uh, taken a turn somewhere and I wasn't sure how I got there. And so I sat down and just started praying. I said, all right, Lord, you know, what do I need to do? How do I get back? Um, I even prayed this. I, you know, I won't tell anybody, but I prayed, Lord, give me the desire to read your word again. <laughs> there was a time where you couldn't get me. I couldn't get a Bible out of my hands. But now I'm like, Lord, give me the desire to go back and read it again. So I just had these moments with the Lord in the last couple of weeks, uh, last week and a half, I should say. Um, but one of the things the Lord just impressed on me was to go back and read the story of Solomon. And said, I said, Lord, I know this story. And so what I did for the last seven days, I went back and I read a certain portion of Solomon's story. And Solomon said, God, I want to hear you. I want to hear you. We all know that he asked God for wisdom, but the word for wise or the word for understanding heart in Kings, first Kings, is actually the word Shema, which in the Hebrew is the word hear. So what he really said was, God, give me a heart that hears you. And I've taken that and I have just chewed on that for the last week and a half. Now, I knew what I was going to share this morning, so I had a, a nice little break there. Uh, I knew where we were going to go. And even last night preparing, the Lord gave me some more for this morning. But for the last week and a half, I should say the Lord's been sharing with me, ask me for a hearing heart. Ask me for a hearing heart. How much do you want to hear what I have to say? How much do you want to hear my opinion? So I don't know. I'm excited. I'm not going to share that message this morning. We're here to see the fifth offering. So are you ready? Yes. <laughs> she hasn't been here in so long. Thank you. Welcome to church. <laughs> Let's dive into it. If you have your Bible, we'll open up to Colossians chapter 2. We're picking up with our fifth offering, and this Sunday will be the conclusion of what has been five long weeks. I did not know it would be a five-week series. I wanted to make it like two or three weeks, cram them all together, but there's so much to share. So we're going to share this last offering this morning in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Before we go to Leviticus chapter 5, uh, let's start in Colossians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul says, In Christ you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And again, I want to point out something that's interesting. Before Jesus came, your spirit was dead because of sin. In Romans, he says, literally, you were dead because of sin. Your spirit, man, was dead. But Jesus made you alive in your spirit by the Holy Spirit. And the way he did it was this. His death became your death. So the same way Jesus died, likewise, in God's eyes, you, were, you have already died. Now, Jesus didn't die spiritually. He died what? Physically. So as far as God's concerned, you have already physically died. In the same way Jesus physically died, consider yourself physically dead. And in what way? To sin. And in the same way Jesus was raised back to life, not spiritually, but raised back to life how? Physically. Likewise, you are to consider yourself alive to God physically. The same way Jesus came back to life. Now, once Jesus died to sin, that means the fruit of sin, which is death, or the wages of sin, which is death, all that came by sin, sickness, all that came by sin, poverty, everything that sin brought, as far as God is concerned, you are dead to it. You cannot produce these things in you. Poverty cannot come from you. Lack cannot come from within you. Any more than sickness and disease can come from within you. Because as far as God is concerned, you are dead to sin. So God says, hey, look, there's nothing to take away because you're dead to it. And in the same way that you are dead to sin, you are alive to God in Christ that you might bear fruit to righteousness, meaning sickness can't come from you, but life can, health can, wholeness can. 
So we come here, and again, it's one of those things I never noticed this until I started studying the sin offering, which we shared last week. But whenever you see sin in terms of the New Testament, when Paul talks about sin, sin is something that he talks about your flesh almost immediately after. The two go hand in hand. So right here, one more time in verse 11, he says, In Christ you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh. Do you see that? By the circumcision of Christ. Then we pick up in verse 12, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 13, and you being dead in your trespasses. And we're going to be talking about the trespass offering this morning. He says, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you most of your trespasses, all of your trespasses. I love that. One more time. God has made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven you all your trespasses. Next verse, verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements. And again, these are, this is one thought because there's no period. It's all one continual breath. So right here in this breath, he says, hey, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Notice he did not say you were dead in your sins. Now, in Romans, he talks about sin, but the word trespass here is so important because it's going to come back later on. We're going to look at the trespass offering. But before we do, notice in verse 13, you being dead in your trespasses, okay, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven you all trespasses, not sins, trespasses. Yes, they are one and the same, but when you change one word, it changes how God responds to you having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, what was the handwriting of requirements? Again, we all know this, but I want to make sure we're all on the same page. Having, what does he say about the handwriting? Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. What is that? What is the handwriting of requirements? The law. The only thing that we know that God wrote with his own hand. What is that? The Ten Commandments. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, only God can remove what God has first installed, instilled, all right? Which was contrary to us. Notice, it was against you, and it was contrary to you. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Then in verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. How did Jesus disarm principalities and powers? How did, excuse me, how did God disarm Satan? At the cross, he took the Ten Commandments and nailed it to the cross. Meaning, the weapon that Satan has been using against God's people is what? The law. Now again, this is not something that's a brand new concept to our church. We've talked about this a lot. But I want you to, I want you to notice something. Have you noticed that for the last 2,000 years, Satan has not used anything else other than this one weapon? That's it. I know that he's done a lot of things and we just talked about how the Lord, how the Lord dressed me and I felt like I was under attack because I felt like all my relationship with the Lord and all these things and I felt guilty and I felt depressed and I was like, okay, Lord, how do I get back? All these things and then come to find out it's not just me, it's several of you as well. My relationship needs to be better and you start hearing that voice of, I need to do more, I'm not doing enough and yes, I need to do more, I feel like I should, but at the same time, I, we, we can't live in a place of guilt and condemnation. You get up and you keep going. But suffice to say this, notice that the weapon he's been using hasn't changed. Satan hasn't changed his tactic. It's one weapon, one plan, and it has worked for the last 2,000 years. Think about it. 2,000 years, he's done one thing. He has taken God's law and made all of us feel guilty. He's taken God's law and made all of us feel judged, feel condemned. That's it. Matthew, you're not doing enough. Matthew, how could you? Matthew, don't you know? Matthew, how could you? It's always that constant, constant accusing. Always the accusation. And in the book of Revelation, what does he call him? The accuser of who? The brethren. Talking about us. God is no longer accusing us. The Holy Spirit is no longer accusing you. Satan is the one accusing you. His weapon hasn't changed. Now, knowing that, again, I want to bring us all to one place. So I wanted to start where we're all familiar Again, wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against you, and it was contrary to you. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So if he's taken it out of the way, that means the law has nothing more to say to me, any more than it has anything to say to you. But the law is not evil. 
<laughs> yes, it's against you, but the law is not evil. The Apostle Paul had to deal with the same problem. The more Paul preached this, the more they said, are you saying that the law is evil? Paul said, no, the law is perfect. The law is just and the law is good. I'm a firm believer that Ten Commandments are good when you use them the right way. But for all of you, if I were to come in and preach the Ten Commandments, that would do you no good. You know why? Because you've been justified by faith. The point of the law is, let me say this, there's two ways to use the law. And I, I'll say this carefully. You use the law for a sinner. You use it to show them there's no way you could ever measure up to God, what God, what he demands. So they come to the end of themselves. Secondly, we use the law for people who are in pride, in the church, who are in pride. And the point is to bring you to the end of yourself to say, I need Jesus. You see, when you empty yourself out, in fact, let me show you. Look at this in Romans chapter 3. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Paul says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may become guilty. Can you say guilty? Yeah. Now, again, guilty and trespass in the, in the Hebrew are actually the same exact word. So I'm bringing you to something. He says, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be made righteous or justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Every believer who's still using the law, you'll never be made right with God. You'll never get what you need. You will never get it. So you know what? Stop trying to be right by the law. Stop trying to use it for you. But what he does say is right here, the purpose of the law is that every mouth will be stopped. Everyone will shut up in front of God and all the world will become guilty. Now, listen, the point is to make you guilty. <laughs> God said, I want to make you know that you are guilty. Now, I know that you say, okay, how does this help me on Tuesday? <laughs> All right. Let me say this. Every action comes from a belief that was put into your heart at some point. On Thursday, when you need God to move, the question is, what was in your heart first? All right. So we have to start with what to believe. Now, again, all the world becomes guilty before God. When we use the law in here, the point is to say, let your pride come to an end. When your pride comes to an end, when you are completely empty, all of a sudden God's fullness comes in. And everyone said, amen. The point is to make you empty. The point of church is to make you empty. So that when you walk out of here, it has to be God or no one else. You were made for God's fullness. You were made for God's favor. You were made for all that God has. In fact, I was actually meditating this morning. Do you know that he says Jesus told them, go out and be witnesses, right? Go out into all the world and be a witness. The best way to be a witness, and I'm getting ahead of myself, the best way to be a witness, we're going to see in Esther, is to let God's favor work for you. When you let God's favor fill you, all of a sudden you don't have to say another word because you are being a witness. I'm telling you, you were made to be empty <laughs> so that God's fullness could rush in. In fact, I'm sorry, are we moving quick? We're not moving fast. Look at this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Notice, I'm sorry, we have no confidence where? In the flesh. So when you come into church, whatever confidence you had, all right, however confident you felt like, hey, have no confidence in the flesh. When I was in my 20s, and I can say that because I'm in my 30s now. <laughs> when I was in my 20s, and you know, and, and, and you're, you're, you're trying to get the attention of the opposite sex. What do you do? You have to be confident, portray a level of confidence, right? <laughs> now, I say that to say this. Paul says, have no confidence in the flesh. <laughs> you're not as good looking as you want to believe you are. Sometimes, look, it's the favor of God. Not even sometimes. Let me say this. For you, it is the favor of God. Put no confidence in how good looking you are. Now, let me say this. I believe all of you are good looking. Amen. That was so sad. Let's try it again. I believe all of you are good looking. Amen. I believe all of you are beautiful. Amen. There's not as many men as women. Let me say this. You know that when the Bible talks about women of God, it always says that they were beautiful. I'm serious. Always says they were beautiful. All right. You are daughters of Sarah. She was old and she was attracting kings who had women probably everywhere. And they said, I want her because she's the most. And you are daughters of Sarah. You are beautiful. And everyone said, amen. amen. So again, all right, put no confidence 
in the flesh. Now, I know that there are classes and seminars and courses when it comes to church. Let me say this. There's a, there's a ton of information on what to do, how to present yourself, how to dress, the type of music you should play, the type of atmosphere you should do. But when it all comes down to it, at the end of the day, it's all what you can do. And as long as you are looking at what you can do, you are putting confidence where? In the flesh. The Apostle Paul is saying on this side of the cross, put no confidence in the flesh. Don't expect people to come because you're doing this. Don't expect people to be attracted to you because you look like this. Don't expect to be a winner at work because you're doing all of this. Whatever confidence you have in yourself, let go of it. Put no confidence in the flesh. And everyone said, now watch this. In Jeremiah, Old Testament, God is a little more harsh than Paul. Paul just says, don't put confidence in the flesh. But in the Old Testament, God says this. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man. <laughs> And makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Now, I love this verse because I always knew cursed is the man who trusts in men. But I never saw this last part. And when I went and studied out that last phrase, whose heart departs, literally it's a link. The more you trust in yourself, the farther from God you go. Scary. The more you trust in what you can do, the farther from God you go. You want to be close to the Lord? You want to be close to what God is doing. You want to make sure you're always hearing God's voice in everything you do. You want to make sure God's favor is working on you. Stop looking at what you're doing. Because the more you look at what you're doing and what you're not doing, you are departing from the Lord. That's why the Lord says, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. God is not saying, I will curse you. What he's saying is this. You are experiencing the curse because you're trusting in yourself. You're looking at what you have done and what you have not done. You are putting confidence in yourself. And because of that, you're experiencing the curse. You don't want to experience the curse. I don't want you to experience the curse. So stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at yourself. Stop asking yourself, did I do the five things I heard this week in church? You didn't hear that from me. Stop, <laughs> stop, stop asking yourself, did I do the five things? That make me better? Did I do the, the 10 steps today that make me perfect? Did I do enough in front of my manager to be seen? No, put no confidence in the flesh. Don't trust in the flesh. Let me say this. I said this before. This is the first job I've ever had where I found out what it means to work hard by the grace of God. When the Apostle Paul said, I labored more abundantly than everyone else by the grace of God. This is the first job I understood what that meant. Because I found myself working hard, working hard, and I felt like nobody noticed what I was doing. But I felt like the more I worked hard I've, and the less I cared about what they thought about me, I found the Lord in a warehouse. I would be in the warehouse praying in the spirit and I would enjoy my time more working hard than I did trying to see. Did they notice what I was doing? I finally found out what that meant. The Apostle Paul to say, I worked, I labored more abundantly than everyone else by the grace of God. And what you find, what you find, the testimony is this. What you find is all the hard work. God says, thank you for spending time with me. Thank you for spending time with me. I'll take care of you on the other end. Well, Lord, do they notice it? Don't pay attention to what they notice. Just keep spending time with me out here. Come out here away from them. Well, if I'm not around them, they won't see how hard I'm working. That's what I want. I want you to come out here with me. You know, I was meditating again on, on hearing the voice of the Lord. You know, when God chose a king, when God chose a king from his heart, who was the one he said, this is a man after my own heart? Who was it? Where was David when God called him? Do you know that there were so many people in Israel who were good, who were working hard, who were learning how to be kings, learning how to be princes? They were all positioning themselves for a position that didn't belong to them. God wanted someone who was in the backfield where no one knew what he was doing. God said, I want this person who just likes spending time with me. That's the one who I'll promote. That's the one who I will make king. I'm telling you. Oh, I don't even have a guy on that. Oh, put no confidence in the flesh. Put no confidence in the flesh. To trust in yourself is to depart from what God has for you. Let me say this. If you promote yourself, you will have to sustain yourself. But if you refuse to promote yourself, God will sustain you. And everyone said. Now, let's keep going. That's Jeremiah 17. Now, I'm going to show you. Look at the story of Esther. We're coming to Leviticus 5. Look at the story of Esther chapter 2. Now, most of us know the story of Esther. If you don't, read it for yourself. But in the story of Esther, keep in mind, uh, the story of Cinderella was not original. <laughs> All right. The king's wife, she challenges him in front of his uh, advisors. And his advisors say, you can't stand for this. All right. 
Vashti, your, your queen, must be replaced. So they hold a massive ball and they say, let all the women come and let all the women uh, prepare themselves for six months and then do another six months of preparation. Then they will all present themselves before the king. And when they present themselves before the king, the king will have one night with them. And on that night, if he determines that she, the one who is, is whichever one he determines he likes, she will be the new queen. So all the women come, they prepare themselves, and Esther is brought before the king. But Esther is not her real name. She has a different Jewish name, which is Hadassah. All right. But anyway, she comes, and Esther is her Babylonian name. So she stands before the king, and when the time comes, before she goes before the king, you know what happens? Look at this in Esther chapter 2. In Esther chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Now when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter to go into the king. She requested nothing but what Haggai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women, advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. Now watch this. She's about to go into the king's presence. And before she goes in, they get a chance to, at the king's, um, all the king's jewelry, everything that the king has, the king's closet. They get anything they want to go and present themselves to the king. So let's say, for example, one woman says, well, I think I look better with silver instead of gold. So she dons herself. She decks herself out with all the silver and she goes and presents herself. Another woman says, well, I think that when I put this perfume on, I'm more attractive. So all these women are preparing themselves. And what are they doing? They're looking at themselves, thinking, what makes me look good? What are they doing? They're trusting in the flesh. They're putting confidence in themselves what they can see, what they know about themselves, what makes them attractive to other people. So they all prepare themselves according to what they know. But Esther comes and there's a man who's a eunuch. Does everyone know what a eunuch is? Does everyone know? Does anyone not know what a eunuch is? Okay. For uh, Sunday purposes, a eunuch is a man who is safe around women. He has been, he's lost his manhood. So <laughs> the king trusts him with all the virgins. He puts him over all the women. And she goes to this man who has been with the king for 10, 20, 30 years. He's been with the king for a long time. And he, she comes to this eunuch and she says, what do you think I should wear? Smart girl. Very smart. Now, hey, guy, let me say this. On the surface, it's just a really good story. But you know what hey, guy's name means in the Hebrew? His name means meditation. Same word, Haggah, in the Hebrew. His name means meditation. Now, you know why that's important? Because when you pray in the spirit, in the Greek, the same word parallels to the Greek. For with stammering lips and another, I'm sorry, in uh, Romans chapter 8, he says this, with groanings which cannot be uttered, the same implication is the more you speak and mutter under your breath, right here, she took what came from muttering or speaking in tongues. Translation, whatever the Holy Spirit spoke to her. That's what she went into the presence with. Now, not the Holy Spirit for her. Hey, God, for her. But this is all put here for us to see. These are all signs for us to see. Don't get stuck on the good story. Look beyond the story. The name tells us that if you'll listen to the Holy Spirit, what was the result? And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. You see, everyone else went into the king's presence with what they thought made them look good. Esther said, I only want to go in with what Hey, God, tells me to go in with. Likewise, I only want to present myself to the world with what the Holy Spirit tells me to go out with. I only want, let me say this, as a pastor, I never want to come up here with what I have studied. I never want to do that. I ask the Lord almost every single time I stand up to preach, Father, don't let me say what I studied. Present, let me say what you would have me to say. And more so in the last couple of weeks, let me hear your voice even while I'm preaching. All right. Now, anyways, look at verse 16. I want to show you something, verse 16 and 17. It says, so Esther was taken to the king Ahasuerus. So notice, she had favor with everyone long before she arrived. It says, so Esther was taken to the king Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the 10th month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh month, I'm sorry, in the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight. More than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Now again, when you listen to what the Holy Spirit says and you stop trusting in yourself, when you stop trusting in yourself and start trusting in what the Holy Spirit can tell you, what happened? The royal crown is on her head. She gets grace and favor, which are really the same, but she gets grace and favor twice as much. And everyone who saw her on the way there has favor for her. Then in verse 18, then the king made a great feast. The feast of who? Esther. Do you realize the feast of Esther is not a real feast? He made a feast because of her. 
When you listen to, let me say this, when you stop trusting in what you can do and you listen to the Lord, you know what will happen? I'm telling you, how do you, how do you, how do you become a witness to the gospel? She didn't have to say a word. All she had to do was listen and present herself. Likewise, all you need is the favor of God to manifest on you. The king made a feast. You know what happens at a feast? Everyone else gets to eat. Everyone else gets to celebrate. And then not, it doesn't stop there. He made a feast for all his officials and servants, and he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces and gave gifts according to the generosity of the king. Everyone else was blessed because God's favor could rest on one person. I'm telling you, your job is blessed because God's favor is resting on you. On Monday, when you walk out of here, your job is blessed because God's favor is manifesting on you. On Tuesday, when you show up and say, I receive more of your favor, I'm telling you, everyone else is blessed around you. Whether they know it or not, let me say this, the time will come where they'll notice when you are no longer there or when you get moved up, they will notice the difference. They'll notice that the time came when God's favor, where gifts were given from God's own generosity, when people celebrated because of something that you did or because you were there. I'm telling you, when I saw this, the Lord said, son, get ready. Not even get ready, but I felt impressed. The Lord said, son, get ready because gifts are about to be distributed in honor of you, in honor of you. Mm. That got me excited. That was what I wrote in my notes. In honor of you, God says people are going to be blessed. I love it. But it all comes from what? Stop trusting in herself. Start trusting in him. You know, let me say this, and I want to go back to the trespass offering. We're, we're coming to it. Let me say this. To stand in guilt, to stand in condemnation, to, 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 to stay in a place where you constantly feel guilty is to say, God, you did not make me righteous. It's to rob God of the opportunity to bless you, to favor you, and to bless everyone else around you as a result for it. I'm getting ahead of myself, but let me say this. Let's keep going. Look at this in Joel chapter 1. In Joel chapter 1. We'll pick up at verse 1, and I want to kind of move through Joel. We're going to look at this. We'll look at two other places in Joel, and we'll close with Leviticus chapter 5, the trespass offering. In Joel chapter 1, it says, The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. And let me say this, Joel, his name is interesting. Joel is actually Yael. Yael. Yah comes from Yahweh. El means God. Put the two together, Yahweh is God. It's a picture of Jesus. And when you understand what his name means, the rest of the book makes so much more sense. In fact, uh, one Sunday we might go through the book of Joel together. It's phenomenal. But anyways, he says, hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. Oh, my God. <laughs> what happened? What happened? Now, let me tell you, let me, before, let me tell you what happened. The people had departed from God and God said, fine, you don't want anything to do with me. Then I'll step back. He didn't have to speak a curse. He stepped back. All of a sudden, locusts show up, a black cloud of locusts show up. And keep in mind, they are in the promised land. And all of a sudden, locusts come. And what do we see? Chewing locusts show up. When they leave, swarming locusts. After they leave, crawling locusts. After they leave, consuming locusts. Everything that was green is now red. Everything that was green is brown. There's no vegetation. And they start looking around going, what happened? And all of a sudden, God raises up a man named Joel, Joel or Yael. And he literally stands up and says, look what happened. And all of a sudden, this is chapter 1. Look at chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 12. All of a sudden, Joel says this. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me. After he says, this is why. He says, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Stop tearing your clothes. Stop rolling on the floor crying. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Stop trying to show God how sorry you are and just turn. I love it. He says, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Now, notice, let me show you. And I'm going to show you how quick God wants to turn your problem into his favor. How quick. Watch this. He says, now, therefore, I'm sorry. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me. And I put it in gold. Turn to me. You know what the word turn is in the Hebrew? It's actually the word return, which is actually the word for repent. <laughs> It's actually the word for repent. What does he mean? Repent. Don't come to me and confess. I just told you what you did. I know what you did. <laughs> I don't need you to remind me what you did. Come back to me. Come back to me. And what do we see? How do, how do you depart from God? The more you trust in yourself. 
He says, come back to me. And when you come back to me, notice in verse 13, all of a sudden, there's no more mention of sin. There's no more mention of what they did. In fact, if you read from Joel 2 for the rest of the book, there is no more mention of what they did. All of a sudden, their problem is replaced by repentance. Then all of a sudden, for the rest of the book, God talks about restoration. He talks about favor. Look at this. Return to the Lord your God for or because he is gracious and merciful. Now watch this. Verse 14, he says, who will know if he'll turn and relent, leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering, a drink offering for the Lord your God. Skip ahead to verse 25, same chapter. Verse 25, God says, so I will restore to you the years. I will restore to you the years. Not restore to you what was lost. Yes, I will do that as well. But let me show you, when you lose something, when you lose something, if you will go back to the Lord, if you will just run back to him, if you will say, and I'm going to show you how at the very end, I'm coming to it. But if you will go back to the Lord, what he says is this. I will not just restore what you lost, but I will restore to you the years, the years. Now, my prayer coming into this Sunday was this. God, whoever shows up, Lord, whoever shows up, restore to them the years, years. That's why you can believe God that he will make you young again. Restore to you the years. Now watch this. The years of what? The years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. My great army which I sent among you, they were under the law, so they were being judged. Verse 26, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. Now pause. All of this after, after 26, I'm sorry, after 25 is unnecessary. All you got to do is say, okay, Lord, God, all God had to say was, I'll give you back what you lost. We're done. But then he spends the rest of the book talking about his restoration. So let me show you how God wants to restore. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. He didn't have to say that. And yet he did. Let's keep going. Verse 27. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Do you realize they lost vegetation? They lost food. They lost harvest. God says, I'm not going to give it back. I'm going to give you plenty. I'm going to give you so much. The world is going to know that I'm in your midst. Oh, by the way, it's going to be generational because your sons, your daughters, your old men, everyone across the board, my spirit is going to be poured out on everyone. <laughs> everyone. All we lost was a couple harvest. <laughs> All I lost was some harvest. And I went back to God and he said, I'm going to give you so much more. I'm going to give you so much more. Do you get it? When God restores, it's never let me give you back what you lost. It's let me give you back what you lost. Oh, and by the way, let me throw more on top. Let me throw more on top. Let me throw more on top. It's almost like every time you get attacked, it's another opportunity for God to make you better. For God to make you younger, for God to make you wealthier, for God to make you richer, for God to give you more. I'm telling you, every attack is an opportunity for God to say, if you will respond the right way, I can make you greater. I say, I said years ago, and I still believe it. Paul looked at everyone and said this in Romans 5, and I don't know how he said it then, but the older I'm getting, the more I'm beginning to understand why he said it. Paul said, we can rejoice in what? Tribulation. And I used to wonder, only Paul could say something like that because he's the one teaching. But you know what? The more you understand, I can be happy when bad things go wrong. I can be happy because every attack, every assault, every time something is lost, it's another opportunity for God to do more than what I had before. Every time. Every time. And everyone said, mm. now, are you ready to see the trespass offering? Let's close with this. The trespass offering. Look at this in Leviticus chapter 5. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, and this is the fifth of, uh, this is the last of all the five offerings in Leviticus. Uh, we'll put all that together. You can hear the rest of them on the, on the podcast, but we'll put them all together for you if you'd like them. Leviticus 5 verse 14, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person commits a trespass, there's that word we saw earlier, right? In the very first verse in Colossians. He has forgiven you all your trespasses. And then what did he say? You committed it, but the sin was in your physical body, Right? Right. It was in your body. So watch this. 
If what you did was in your physical body, watch how the trespass offering affects your physical body. Watch this. If a person commits a trespass sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring to the Lord as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flocks with your valuation and shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary as a trespass offering. And he shall make restitution for the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing and add, I'm sorry, and shall add one fifth, which is how much? How much is one fifth in percentages? 20%. So make full restitution, 100%, add one fifth, 20% to it. And it, I'm sorry, and add one fifth to it and give it to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering and it shall be forgiven him. Now there's a twofold way I want you to see this. For one, it comes as a person, as the sinner. If a person sins, God says, I want you to make a, a trespass offering. 120% resti rest uh, restitution, restoration. We'll use that word. <laughs> I want you to restore 120% of what you were taken. But did you know that the Bible says by his blood, all of us are now kings and what? Priest. Right here, we are the priest. God says, whatever someone else takes, whatever someone else does wrong, they are to bring it to who? The priest, us. The wealth of the sinner is laid up for who? Us. God says, I want them to restore back 120% of what was taken. Now, again, there's a twofold way to see it, and I'll show you how in just a moment. But keep in mind, what if it's you? What if you're the one who's done something wrong? What if you're the one who has sinned? What if you're the one who's lied to someone? What if you're the one who's stolen something you shouldn't have? Psalm 69, verse 3. It's a prophetic psalm. David says, I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. He's, it's a messianic psalm. It's the, the Holy Spirit speaking through him. And what we see is a picture of Jesus at the cross. He says, those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. Jesus is on the cross. <laughs> verse, uh, verse 4. They are mighty who would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully. Though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore. So Jesus literally says, you are the ones that did it. It's not my fault you did it. It's your fault you're in this problem. But you know what? I will restore what I did not take. What I did not steal, I will restore. So watch this. If you are the one who's done something wrong, if you are the one who did something and you knew you shouldn't have done it, listen, God says, well, I want you to restore it. Jesus steps in your place and says, no, I will restore it. I will restore it. Oh, well, let me say this. I'm not advocating if you hurt somebody's feelings, you shouldn't go back and apologize. But what I'm saying is this. Jesus says for everything you did wrong, I will stand in your place. I will restore. Now watch this. What if it's somebody in the world who did something wrong to you? Jesus says, I didn't take it from you, Matthew. I didn't steal from you. I didn't take anything from you. But I will stand in that person's place. I will stand for you as a trespass offering. And I will restore what was lost. Do you see that? Now watch this. Next verse in Leviticus. The very next verse, chapter 6, verse 1. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying this. If a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord. And let me say this. You know the word trespass is actually the same word for guilt. The same exact word for guilt. He says, if anyone commits a trespass or a guilt against the Lord by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping or about a pledge or about a robbery or if he's extorted from his neighbor... Or if he has found what was lost and lies concerning it or swears falsely. If any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins. Pause for one moment. We'll read this and we'll close with this. Look at this. If a person commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him. Has Satan ever tried to lie to you about what belongs to you? Have you ever been in a service? And by the grace of God, nobody said anything. Have you ever been in a service where someone tried to make you believe that you had to get healing, that you had to get righteousness, that you had to do something to get something from God? Guess what? You were lied to. You were lied to. <laughs> you have been blessed with all spiritual blessings. All right. So has, has the enemy ever tried to lie to you? Yes. All right. About uh, about anything. I'm sorry. Has anything ever, ever been delivered to you for safekeeping? Do you know that God has put his wealth and his inheritance inside of you? So has the enemy ever tried to lie to you about what's true about you, about what's inside of you or about a pledge? Or has he ever tried to steal anything from you? Yes. He is the thief who has come to steal, kill and destroy. Or has he extorted something from his neighbor? Has he ever tried to take anything from you? OK. Or if he's found what was lost and lies concerning it or swears falsely. 
in any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins. Verse four, then it shall be because he has sinned and is guilty. Now watch this. Because he is guilty. Watch this. That he shall restore what he has stolen. Now, what did we just see? Jesus stepped up and said, I will restore. He shall restore what was stolen or the thing which he has extorted or what was delivered to him for safekeeping or the lost thing which he found or all that about which he has sworn falsely. He shall restore it to its full value, add one fifth more to it and give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass or guilt offering. Let me close with this. When I saw this, the Lord said, son, the next time you feel guilty, the next time you feel uh, what I was going through earlier about, you know, feeling like my, my relationship, the Lord said, son, next time you feel guilty, let me say this, all these things belong to you. Satan is trying to rob you of something. Your enemy is trying to rob you of something. He's trying to rob you of time with the Lord. He's trying to rob you of time with your family. He's trying to rob you of time with, with, with any, he's trying to rob you of everything that God has given you. I was reading in 2 Timothy this week. He said that God has given you all things richly to enjoy. Whatever Satan is trying to rob you of, he says in the day that you feel guilty, in that day, it will be given back to you. That day, 120%. And not just anyone, but to who? To whom it belongs. When I saw that, I'm telling you. You know, when it comes to family, let me say it like this. How does our family suffer in this way? You know, when I feel guilty, sometimes I come home and I end up taking it out on the wife who's here this Sunday. She hadn't been here this Sunday for how many weeks? She's here this one, right? (laughs) But I'm serious. Most of the fights that we have generally are never about something major. Oh, my God, how did you do this? You know, you sold the house without telling me. You know, it's never something crazy. It's always small things, right? In Song of Solomon, it's the little foxes, right? It's never the big, big things. You sold our car. You you didn't tell me. It's never something like that. It's always the small things. And why is it the small things? Because the small things aren't really the problems themselves. They're really not the problems. Most of the time, they become problems because of something else. I feel guilty. I'm upset. This didn't happen the way I wanted it to. That didn't go the way I wanted it to. I had a rough day at work. So now guess what? You get it. I'm being serious. And what's, what's, what's being lost the entire time? Time with family. Time with her. Time with Parker. What's being lost in the process? All these things are being lost. All this is being lost. A while back I was struggling because I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I just don't have time. I don't have time. And for a while, I wanted the Lord to sympathize with me, but I just didn't feel that, that compassion from God. And I just kept saying, Lord, I just don't have time. I need more time. And I was just crying and complaining. And I'd never, and this is me and the Lord, I just didn't feel that compassion from the Lord. Like, you're so true, you don't. I just didn't feel that. And one day I was in my office studying, and the Lord said, how can you say you don't have time? You have plenty of time. You just don't use your time the way you should. And I was like, <laughs> you know? And I said, well, what about the time I spent in here trying to study and prepare? He said, I promised you I'd give you all that back. Didn't I say I would give you all that back? And I saw Jesus standing on a mount saying, whatever you give to the Lord, whatever time away, I'll give it back to you. He said, I promised you I'd give you all that back. Your issue isn't that you don't have time. You're just not using your time the right way. You need to learn how to use your time better. I was like, oh, my God, this is a therapy for me. I was like, oh, my God, really, Lord? My point is this, whatever we lose generally is not because God is saying, I want you to work for me. Take time away. Take time away. No, no, no. Whatever. Generally, the fights, the problems, they come from somewhere we feel guilty, somewhere we feel upset, somewhere we tried to do something. At some point, we tried to trust in ourselves and it didn't work out the way we thought it would work. I read in Proverbs, I'm sorry, I know I'm quoting a lot of verses. I read in Proverbs, he said this, hope deferred makes the heart what? Sick. You know how that happens? You convince yourself that if I do enough of this, This will be the end result. And all of a sudden, when that doesn't become the end result, that hope, that expectation is deferred. It's pushed off somewhere else because you were never supposed to be trusting yourself in the first place. And hope deferred makes the heart sick. It makes you sick. You start coming down with problems and issues and sicknesses and disease you never should have started. You start having problems at home, problems with your family, all because you were trusting yourself to get to a place and it didn't happen. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. All the while, you should have just said, it's not me. It's all you. It's not me. It's all you. It's your favor. It's your grace. It's your favor. It's your grace. It's all you. 
And the more you come to that place, I'm telling you, in the day when you feel guilty, remind yourself, remind yourself, you are my trespass offering. The day something's taken from you, remind yourself, you are my trespass offering. And when he restores, he won't just give you back what you got. I'm telling you, go home and meditate on Joel chapter 2. He won't just give you back what you lost. He will make sure that it affects your children, your children's children, and the generations to come. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your truth. Father, we thank you that you are our trespass offering. Jesus, you are the trespass offering for everyone in here. Father, this morning, whatever's been lost, whatever's been taken, whatever the enemy has been, uh, whatever areas the enemy has been somewhat successful in uh, causing problems and confusion, this morning, Father, we put everything in front of you. We put everything in front of you and we declare that, Jesus, you are our trespass offering. You will restore what you did not take. Again, Jesus, you will restore what you did not take. So, Father, I thank you again for everything that the enemy has tried to touch. This morning, we say thank you that he touched it so that you can restore it 120 percent over. Father, every problem that we have been going through, even this past week coming in, normally, Father, we say help us get us out of this. But this morning, we say thank you so that you can restore it 120 percent over. Father, we thank you that every time the enemy attacks, because you are our heavenly father and you are bound by your word, I thank you that there is 120% waiting for us on every platform, on every avenue, everything that's been taken. Cause us to rise up with your favor. Cause us to rise up with your grace. Cause us to be witnesses in this city to your favor, your unmerited favor. And we thank you for it, Lord. Just take a moment real quick. We're closing. Just take a moment. If there's anything specifically that's bothering you, whatever it is specifically, if it's a physical issue, if it's a relationship issue, whatever it is, if there is something specifically, just one thing, just say it under your breath. Thank you, Lord. Now, Father, we present this to you. We present this to you. And Father, this week, even this week, I thank you that there will be testimonies of 120% restoration in those areas. And Father, we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. 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 Just lift your hands right where you're at. May the Lord bless you in your going out and in your coming in. May the Lord bless you with the blessings of Abraham. May the Lord continue to open doors of opportunity for you and your family. May the Lord make his, I'm sorry, may the Lord keep you and your family always at the right place at the right time. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and may you enjoy his peace and his shalom this week. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. I love you. I love you. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.